Taylor. Taylor, Hello. it is good to Hi, see you. It's good to see you. It's been a minute. It's been a little while. For those listening, this will be the first episode in like a couple of months to come out. And it's been a while since I've seen you. Yeah. Uh, but it feels good to be here back at Pulp Arts and looking forward to 2022. I know we're on the verge. Like that is that is weird to know that we started it this year and that this will be the last one that we record this year and then we'll be starting afresh yeah and because i haven't seen you in a while tell me what is going on what is going on yeah i feel like i went through like a really crazy stretch of wrapping up a ton of projects and teaching and all of this stuff and then the last week has felt totally different like super super kind of like stressful and crazy and then the last week i feel like For the first time in a a couple of years, I have very, very much felt like the holiday spirit (laughs) of wanting to see friends and just being really aware of this time, which has been super cool. Like I tend to love the Advent season for those of us who like that sort of thing. And I'm like, I'm feeling it like life has slowed down a little bit. And my kids are really, really stoked. So for like an almost seven-year-old and an eight-and-a-half-year-old, they're like really understanding it. And the last thing, Brandon, of going into the holiday season is my birthday is on December 29th. So oh, I didn't know that. I'm about to be 39. So I'm I'm looking that in the face too, and that feels exciting. But like that, I'm on the verge of that too. See, I'm curious what, what that means to you because mm-hmm. for me, other than sort of the existential like switching from 29 to 30 which is like a new decade or whatever right um because the last time that had happened i was like a basically a child (laughs) even though i was 20 (laughs) an adult child right um other than that sort of like existential mental switch getting older like birthdays and stuff to me it doesn't really signify anything Mm. but i've known other people for whom they're like i'm 30 now oh yeah and uh, like i'm old i'm an old man (laughs) um i mean i don't know if they feel that way about it now it was a few years ago but i just remember thinking oh gosh is that what i'm gonna is that is that how i'm gonna feel feel? when i turn 30 brandon are you asking me what does it feel like to be looking at 40 Oh, no, I mean, I mean, for you, I mean, what is that? What is that? What does yeah. that mean? Because even my wife and I have different opinions yeah. on or different feelings on what having another birthday mm-hmm. represents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I remember turning 30 also and feel like that was the age where people were like, oh, no, like it's happening. <laughs> I'm getting older. And you're like, wait a minute. Isn't that kind of what's right? But I love birthdays. I think like at sort of the corny, but also very real love level it's like another year i get you know another year another year has gone by and all those things but i also feel really sad when some of my girlfriends are like i've started ignoring my birthdays i don't want to acknowledge the passing of time that makes me like really sad because i sort of feel the opposite that i'm glad for the passing of time but i also feel like life keeps getting better so like yes our world is sort of crazy right now and like a hundred percent But I feel as if I keep gaining perspective and confidence and I'm getting distance from things that in my 20s that I just feel like I've I've learned so much since then. I don't know. I feel like life keeps getting better. So a birthday for me feels celebratory and maybe I'm like a little bit less messy than I was (laughs) last year. Or you know what I mean? (laughs) There's like... I keep learning. See, it's interesting because for me, when I think of aging, because I am somebody who is sort of 
ambition driven, somebody uh-huh. who wants to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. Um, and that requires buy-in from other community members and partners and teams and whatever you name it. Yeah. And being able to like walk into a room, somebody not know you and then kind of present as someone who has some sort of quote unquote authority in Mm. the room or on what they're doing. For me, aging only benefits that because there is something to being over 30 that doing community Mm. work in nonprofit spaces, having a little bit more age on you lends credibility and credence to the things that you're saying. Sure. Because I definitely know that when I was starting to launch my storytelling organization many years ago granted i didn't know what i was doing this so that there is some truth to probably mm-hmm. like i was a little bit nervous Greener, and anxious yeah. but at the same time i definitely remember the way that i was treated when i would mm. present to people was so different when i was same. in oh. my mid-20s versus now in my mid-30s yes. it's completely different so i kind I'm not of as love worried about it yeah getting older <laughs> because the Me things too. i care about i can do more and more easily yeah in some ways. that's so true and i don't i don't feel as much pressure to try to advocate for myself or like sell it's sort of like well this is what i, I mean just here it is you know and, oh, yeah. and there's less pressure there yeah oh man yeah. Oh, man. Okay, we're about to get into entrepreneur talk here. <laughs> um, That's the truth. Everybody who's an entrepreneur goes through this, I think. But like when I think of early days of when I was starting to launch initiatives and programs and companies and whatever, and the way in which I had to self-advocate, yeah, I just like cringe inside too, a little man. bit. I've actually wanted to ask you about this before. Okay. Because when I think about that for myself, I'm like, I wonder what Brandon... Because I I cringe too. It's cringy because parts of it are ego. And then part of it is just like fear and youth. And there's a lot of things that are sort of like, oh, sweetheart. I I want to have like compassion for myself, but I'm really cringing. Back to a meeting (laughs) specifically with a high level person at the University of Florida. They were launching a story based initiative. And what I learned is that many organizations, their marketing has the word story in it, but they don't actually really care about telling mm-hmm. the true stories of the mm-hmm. organization or whatever. It's just a buzzword for many, right. many large institutions. Not saying that was the case with UF in this situation, but I reached out because I started seeing this um, story language being used in marketing uh, efforts. And I was like, well, this is what we do. And yeah. we got a meeting with somebody high up. Jaren and I were both in our suits, which might be the only time I've ever like <laughs> had a meeting like that where we're pitching while wearing a suit. And, <laughs> and that alone, I think, says a lot about, <laughs> right. about it does. how we were trying so hard. Yeah. But like at that meeting in particular, if I could go back in time, be a fly on the wall and watch myself and how I I feel now to this day that I just came across as nervous. Yeah. And, oh my gosh. Like when you said that now it's like, I just kind of present what I do, how I do it, uh, take it or leave it and don't get too like wrapped up in, uh, how the other person's perceiving you. Yeah. I'm right there with you a hundred percent, but yeah, that was not always the case. No. And when I think of when it wasn't, it's just like, I die a little inside. I <laughs> 
just a tiny little bit over time. I know, yeah. And working with undergrads now, like especially in a class like personal branding, which I get to teach for um, undergrads, this is really what I wish I could teach them, you know, is is like, I know how you feel in your 20s and all the things that are flying around in your head and your heart and your, you know, just it's going to be it's going to be okay but it is going to take a minute now that i'm closer to 40 it hasn't been fixed like it just changes but you do you get some grounding and some footing be, only because of like time and experience yeah you have to make you, you those have mistakes. to go through it exactly you have to pitch somebody high level and look like a complete novice yeah uh, and, and wear not a suit realize that doesn't it. fit and all the right. things yeah exactly um, and i didn't say it didn't fit <laughs> that was you you added that to, to in, i was your picturing mental myself picture. you know just being like was that the right thing like should i have worn that or yeah but yeah no i mean you have to make those mistakes and one of the reasons why i sort of stepped away from the entrepreneur community in gainesville in some ways was that after making that journey from like total anxiety ridden, self-conscious kind of trying to get myself out there space to someone who was more grounded and confident in what they were capable of and, right. and what they were actually offering, I was seeing people go through that process at the earlier steps and it just reminded me too much of, of like being uh, in that space. And I just was like, so I funny. can't even, I, it just brought me anxiety to see other people going through that. That is so, and I've totally had that experience too, where you're like, mm, I know what phase, you're in a phase. And like we didn't, most people don't know they're in that phase right. or, you know, that it is a phase or whatever. That is so, this is so fascinating because this is something I have like thought about so many times and I figured that you had to. And to be, to be clear, <laughs> I love talking to people one-on-one -on -one about yeah. going through this oh, yeah. space, but like being in the, I'm talking about being in like the mixers and the, um, the spaces where a lot of entrepreneurs get together to like pitch each other and like and to network and whatever. Yeah. That's where I was like, check please. Yes. <laughs> but any day of the week, if you want to come and talk about where you're at and like where you might go. I am all in yep. for that mm -hmm. at that one-on-one -on -one level. Exactly. We're both sharing that too. I Which love having those conversations. Which is a perfect way to uh -huh. jump into <laughs> what we're here to talk about today. <laughs> I am sitting across the room from the published author, <laughs> Taylor Williams, who has recently published the book Beyond the Words on New Degree Press. It is available all the places that you would want to buy a book. I just finished reading it this week, and it is great. Thank and you. we are going to take today's episode to talk about some of the elements of this book. Which is so nice. Thank you for thinking of doing that. I mean, <laughs> the point of this podcast is to provide people with some ways to be better, to do better, in their personal life and in their professional space and in true. leadership and public speaking cuts across all of those things. So yeah, it is, a, I think it is a 
perfect fit for this podcast. Um, and it just so happens that uh, you're the co-host. So. <laughs> it's sort of convenient, really. Yeah, it's also convenient. A matter of convenience. Well, yeah. yeah, and really what we were just talking about, you know, even in the world of entrepreneurship and our own experiences of like, I think so much about public speaking and what a lot of this book is about, as you know, is about really how you present yourself to the world, right? And so that's really what we were just talking about, too, uh-huh. is how do you want to present? What's the right mix of a level of confidence and humility in doing that? How much pressure do you, you know, how much do you rehearse versus how much do you let go? All of those things are wrapped into this book. So during this conversation, we're going to talk about some big picture pieces to like where the book came from for you, but also maybe get into a few of the examples and stories that make up the book. And again, I think this is something that anybody who does any sort of speaking, even at the team level Mm -hmm. or, you know, or public speaking, true stand up in front of a crowd kind of a thing. Right. How we think of it from. Yeah. A lot of people don't often think about the fact that public speaking skills come into play in a team setting, you know? Amen. But yeah, absolutely. absolutely. All the yeah. Time. Mm-hmm. To begin, I wanted to actually read from the introduction to okay. the book. <laughs> this, is so, this is sort of cool and strange. I'm like, okay, yeah, please go ahead and read what I wrote. That's weird. <laughs> I mean, if you'd rather, I could <laughs> no, hand no, you No, no, I want you book. to read it. I want you to read it. <laughs> okay, so I think this really gets at the thesis of the entire work. And that is that public speaking is less about what we say and much more about two very critical things. The way we want to present ourselves to the world and how we can connect with others through presenting. This goes beyond our tone, our style, and our social media presence. It goes beyond how many followers we have and if we know our audience or not. The importance lies in how we show up for ourselves and how we relate to others. Mm -hmm. You are a public speaker. How did you land on that Mm. as what public speaking really is? First of all, I love that you read that and you were like, this is what this is about. And you're right. I think that the piece about connecting with other people is like the super critical piece that we leave out. So not surprisingly, because public speaking or even presenting ourselves in whatever way, however that looks like for us, right? That's nerve wracking. So It's like we're nervous about it. We don't know how we're being perceived. We want to feel confident and grounded in how we do that. But it becomes super one-sided. And we think it's like all about us and how, right? Oh, yeah. Right? Because, I mean, at some level, it is. You You are the only person who can experience how you're feeling as you present yourself to the world. No one else can really feel what that is like for you as an individual, right? Yeah. But it can become so internal that that it it can eat you alive like there's no escape from it and we have bodily reactions and we have panic attacks and we lose sleep and you know what oh, i mean yeah. right i mean it's really there's a lot of fear and and loathing around it but i feel like if we can do that thing that we have to do a lot as humans and realize that this is something that feels so individual and so individually mortifying that everyone experiences at some point in their life, mm-hmm. it normalizes it. So there's that piece of like, oh, yeah, we've seriously all been there. There's just no escaping it. Even if you are someone who naturally feels 
comfortable and confident on a stage or whatever. Like you've had that moment in some way, shape or form. Oh, yeah. Right. And then there's the other piece of it, which is public speaking can actually be an opportunity to create connections with other people that if you can get outside of your yourself for a moment you can reach out to the person who's in front of you in a one-on-one conversation the audience who is watching you your team like you said in a um like a team a work setting and it then it doesn't have to be all about you and you're actually i mean brandon this is what you do with the work you do with story and music is you're creating a room or a huge group, like an audience full of people who all of a sudden are like vibing on the same level. Yeah, You're creating community as you do that by the space that you're holding for people as you're presenting something or helping other people present themselves, like hosting a concert or producing a storytelling show. That's where like the magic of this is. Does it sound right to you? Because you do this for people. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, while reading this book, you know, I I, I am also a public speaker as well. Right. Which is a trip to eventually like say, oh, yeah, I'm a public speaker. I know. Because that's not something I ever wanted to be or thought that I could even be. Right, right. In fact, I only became a public speaker whatever you like, whatever that means to you. Right. It means a lot of things. Yeah. (laughs) to share ideas that were meaningful that there was no other way that I knew how to Mm. get them across. Yeah. And so by doing it enough times, I internally shifted my thinking into like, okay, I guess I'm a public speaker now and I guess I'm okay with that. So yeah, everything that you're saying rings very true to me because those are things that I've experienced without trying to be intentional about sensing what's happening, but just, Mm experiencing it yeah. and then reflecting back and honestly hmm, like cool. through this book getting some insight into some of my own processes and how i processed these experiences oh that's cool there's so many things to dig into in this book but one of the elements that i think of often when i think of one of the scariest things is if you don't have experience speaking in public, thinking that you're supposed to be professional Mm. level Mm -hmm. speaker Mm -hmm. from (laughs) the jump. Like when you look at your examples, your Oprah's, your, um, your Brene Brown's, your, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you fill in the blank Ted talk speaker person, right? That's your example often. And these are people who have, spoken hundreds thousands yeah. yeah tens of thousands of times in their life and so it is it is a skill that they have developed right. you're not going to be that first time and you talk about expert status backfire and imposter syndrome quite a bit mm-hmm. uh in the start of this book and i think it's such an interesting framework mm. for getting past that right yeah. do you I mind so. describing that a little bit sure Yeah. um, And you described that so well. So expert status backfire is a term that I (laughs) came up with to try to explain what this is. Uh, I did not realize that you came up with that because it sounds like something that has been like studied and like is a, is a, 
<laughs> concept that's out in the world, which I guess it is now. But like I, <laughs> well, well done. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll t- so imposter syndrome was not me. Wish I could claim that. Um, and we'll get into that too. But expert status backfire is exactly what you explained. That if we only look towards people who are like famous or making a lot of money or getting a lot of notoriety from public speaking and thinking that that's who we have to be like in order to be a successful and comfortable and competent public speaker, that we're setting ourselves up for disaster. Like you said, Brandon, these people have had a ton of reps. Like every now and then there's like a natural person who's never been on the stage and they do, you know, they give a TED talk that's viewed a bajillion times. But like my buddy John Skirto says in this book, he's like, we have to remember that those people, they've had training too. They've Mm -hmm. had like secret behind the scenes training, or they've been doing it for a lot longer than it appears. But I just think that we set ourselves up and, and we certainly can look at those people and model certain aspects of what we like about them, right? But I think sort of the antidote to thinking that we have to be an expert right away is actually looking towards people closer to us in our inner circles or just people that we run into a lot where we're like, hmm, there's something about that person that I really like. And I wish I could capture that in my own way, you know, like their comfort or their how they they just come across as like very casual or positive or like whatever you whatever that thing is but like what's that thing and what is that within yourself that you can emulate oh yeah you know it's funny hearing you say it out loud rather than reading it i'm picturing specific people that i know huh. specific storytellers or public speakers and i think like i learned from Siraj that you can speak in a poetic sort of way and really draw people in mm-hmm. those of you who know Siraj maybe know that it's I'm like savory like like how emulating he's, his he's, voice he's right totally. now. <laughs> you're doing a very nice job <laughs> um, but you know if without having seen somebody that I know do that I would have probably thought speaking slowly is a way it, for mm. me, it would be like boring, right? And that's not true if you yes. hit it. If you're capturing it right. in the way that he does, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or I think of um, someone on the opposite side of the spectrum who, my, my friend Anne, who is just as excited and optimistic and upbeat about whatever it is that she's presenting on. Yeah. That I'm like, I. I want to be able to capture that in my speaking as well. And I know somebody who does that. I can do that too. Yeah. And you can borrow from both of them. It's not like, ooh, which one should I be? It's like, no, no. What's your mix of those things that you like? You know, like we can think of people who um, I'm thinking of a specific bartender at the top who makes you feel special. All you're doing is ordering a drink, saying hello, you know, kind of like common day, like pleasantries exchanged. But somehow you feel like, wow, I'm having an amazing experience right now. Or, you know, like the person who makes you feel like the only person in the room. Or, I don't know, like there are, there are elements of that kind of feel that you can capture and use in the way that you present yourself. The thing we have to do is make sure that it really is us. You're not trying to copy that. It's just like, mm, what? how can I 
authentically offer that to other people if I if I want to offer that, if I like the way that that makes me feel. Yeah, I think it's so beautiful to be able to think about how we can pull from other roles in our life that we don't yeah. think of as public speaking. Right. And infuse them into our public speaking. Right persona exactly like please don't think it's all about your powerpoint yeah like, please don't confuse you know those are important too if that's the setting but that's not always the setting right so so what are the ways like you're saying pulling from non-obvious parts of your life of like how do i want to come across in that way and i hope that's liberating for people because it it just opens up the door to the possibilities i'm curious what you think of I just pulled the word persona out of the air. I, I like that. But now it's making me think about like where where do you fall on this idea of standing and delivering authentically just like, like you just walked in off the street and you're talking to your best friend versus having some sort of a speaking, public speaking persona when you stand on the stage mm -hmm. and deliver? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I love this question. And I wish you're like making me realize I wish I had unpacked this thing. Like this could have been like another chapter actually. Um, so maybe it's another book. Uh, oh gosh. My mom asked me though, what's your next one? I'm like, man, I got so sassed that. Shh. <laughs> have you get, seen, have get you, out okay, devil woman. <laughs> real quick, real quick. Have you seen the movie Tick, Tick, Boom on Netflix? No. So it's about Jonathan Larson, the guy who wrote Rent. Yeah. And you follow, spoiler alert, you follow him writing a musical before Rent that got like one tiny production and never got like mm. produced. And at the end, his agent was like, all right, that was good. Good job. You got this thing, a reading of it done. All right. Well, nobody wants to produce it. So what's your next musical? And he's like, I just spent the last eight years of my life writing this yeah. this opus uh -huh. what do you mean what's my next one the, the and the agent was like you're a writer you gotta write you know sometimes <laughs> you'll get awesome. them done sometimes sometimes nothing will happen with it you just gotta keep writing and what you just said really reminded me of gosh dang it maybe that, my mom's right that scene she's it's right like, so often mm -hmm. it's really disheartening so <laughs> anyways. okay so persona <laughs> Okay, so there's a few things I feel like this could be like its own, you know, huge conversation. But I think that some of it does come down to our feeling of authenticity. I don't know about you, but I feel like in both like a friend setting, like a social setting and in a professional setting, I know when I have sold myself out. And there is a fine line. Some of this has to do with getting more experience and getting comfortable, whatever. But I know when I like overdid something mm. and when I was being when I maybe wasn't being open and authentic enough or when it was like too much. And a lot of that has to do with finding the right level of vulnerability. Mm. So when you walk into a, an executive's office wearing a suit when you probably didn't need to, <laughs> kind of a situation. It might be that, and you're like, "That's not what I wear. <laughs> like that's not that's not what I do." Uh -huh. You know, so it really could be the 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 physicalities with which you present yourself, or it could be. Um, that, you know, you could go into a meeting and use like a ton of business jargon mm. and act like, you know, a lot about, and you're like, why didn't I just go in there and talk like I normally talk? So I don't know. There's a balance because we can't, if we want to make jokes or like, let's say, you know, you have a, you find a delight in using colorful language. Well, 
that's great, but not in every setting. So we know that sometimes we have to dial things up or dial it down. But I think we know when we haven't been our true self, like we've kind of sold out or we have underdone or overdone vulnerability. So I think um, there's a there's like a chapter in there about this vulnerability and authenticity thing. And one of the things that Katie Heisen and I really talked about and agree on, and this is like, it's easy to Katie have- Katie is quoted in the book. Yes. And she's talking about um, having a vulnerability hangover. And this is something that's very- uh, What that, a powerful phrase. Yes. And we, we, we like both- that was like one of those weird moments where we're like, you get vulnerability hangovers? Like, I get vulnerability. So what is a vulnerability hangover? Yeah. When you feel that you have overdone yourself, like maybe you have shared too much or like you went a little bit too hard in the paint on being like your most wackadoodle self and maybe like <laughs> you didn't want to. Everybody can define them, you know, that, that your own way or that you actually didn't show up for yourself and you were fake. Mm. You were like, mm, why didn't I like... Why wasn't I just really honest about how I felt about that? Or I really wanted to give this example, but I thought it was too revealing. So I sold out and told somebody else's story or, you know, so I think that's where the persona thing can either be like, I'll tell you this too, Brandon. I know that when I'm hosting a storytelling show, I am in performer mode. Mm -hmm. I am like a character. I'm a character. Right. I'm almost like a character of my caricature of myself. Uh-huh. I'm genuinely myself because I am also representing other people, which I find hugely important. I have to do justice to that piece, right? Oh, yeah. But I'm also there as a performer. The last piece of this persona thing is that we also have to honor our audience. And in order to do that, you have to understand who they are. So again, you don't want to pander. You have to kind of like not pander, but you have to know that your audience is usually there seeking something mm. and trying to figure out what that thing is and be real while also meeting their needs. It takes a little doing. It takes some discovery. You mentioned in the book something that, thought, that I thought was really insightful. You talked about how through your storytelling company, <laughs> you had been producing events that were lighthearted Mm, and yeah. um, breezy, kind yeah, of. Yeah, humorous. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, breezy is maybe not the right word because some of those stories were really powerful Yeah, at those events that I went to. Yeah. But generally lighter, right? Right. And then you decided to dial into things that had a little bit more substance in terms of theming. Yeah, and people reached out like, can we do social advocacy thing or like heavier topics? And you found that your audience didn't exactly follow you mm -hmm. into those spaces. That's right. And you pivoted from that. Can you speak a little bit to that? Sure. And that's, like when you talk about knowing your audience, yeah. like that for me is was really powerful to read because I've also in the space, in the work that I've done, I've seen that play out in my world too yeah sure and i think we probably all like a lot of us have in this sort of public domain kind of space but yeah so basically when we set out to do comedy based easier like funny themes you know where people really got a, a release from telling these funny stories we were having audiences of anywhere from 150 to 250 people and it was consistent like 
you know, a night where we had a hundred was like, hmm, is there something else going on? To-? Like it, it was weird. Like it got to the point where that was our like norm. And let me just tell you, if you're listening, getting a hundred people to come do anything on any night of the week in this town oh. can be can be a challenge. Sure, sure. And so something was working. Like if it, thank you for saying that, Brandon. That is a compliment. And so so something was working about that, right? So when we started doing these more just I want to say socially conscious shows that might have been about something like mental health or trauma or addiction, okay? Really important topics. That what we discovered, I mean, our our audiences went to like where we were having to 50 to 70 people from there. Okay, that doesn't mean that it was wrong. It means that our initial audience that we had identified that was loyal, they were there for the laughs. They were there for a emotional release, you know, in the comedy kind of realm. They were like, "Mm -mm, this isn't what (laughs) this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I signed up for, Taylor, you know. And so I kind of had to have you know, like a heart to heart with myself about why does this bother me? Like, I I was really struggling with people perceiving that I didn't care about the socially conscious issues if I stopped doing them. But as a community organizer, as a show producer, like I was wearing these different hats, but I had to decide, okay, our audience for the most part are people who are seeking comedy. Mm-hmm. That's what I need to go back to. I'm confusing people. This this like isn't fair in some way. It's like I don't want to sell something that so I had to identify that my audience was comedy and then take care of these heavier topics or whatever we want to label them in kind of a separate vein of the work that I did. So I had to say, okay, my identity can work in both ways. When I'm producing and hosting these comedy shows, that's that persona. When I am helping these other groups produce shows uh, around socially conscious topics, I'm I'm not I'm in a totally different headspace when I produce and host those shows. They need to be separate things to take care of both of those audiences and mm. to feel like my most authentic self. Mm, I I so resonate with that because doing what your audience wants or is expecting or needs, whatever word you want to fill in that blank with, is really important, yeah. right? And yeah. I think one of the things that I've seen you do, in especially in the socially conscious space, after you, I'm, I'm assuming after you made this sort of mental switch in how you're going to be interacting with those two veins of of what you do um, is that you've partnered a bunch with Heartwood Soundstage Mm -hmm. and filmed people sharing their story about a number of different topics for a number of different events in the last couple of years. Right. And I found that to be incredibly impactful for a few different reasons. One, these stories are recorded in a high quality way right. that um, would not have been otherwise mm-hmm. and are available for anyone to see, especially me, just whenever I'm able to watch or listen to them. Yeah. You know, it's a lot easier to take 10 minutes and watch a YouTube video than to like say, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to have to make sure that my children are good and I get a yeah, babysitter a on babysitter a Thursday and, night and all yeah, that kind of and stuff. And the seat that you want and the ticket, yeah, right. whatever. So that's that's beneficial. But then also they exist as a resource for other people to utilize in the future. And I know like 
I have actually used some of the mm. stories that you have been a part of, oh, that, these wow. videos, in a number of different spaces that I work in at mm. the University of Florida. People are looking for examples of, for for instance, black researchers and their yeah. experiences. And that's something you specifically have done. And, uh, and those videos exist. And so I'm able to say, well, take a look at this. Yeah. And those stories and those, those examples of public speaking live on, right? Be- yeah. And for me, it's super fascinating to have read your whole thought process with what led you to hmm. going in that direction. Oh, cool. Because I've only seen it from the side of, of the audience, right? Right, right. And seen the impact that, that those intentional choices, as it turns out, yeah. have made yeah. to the work in the long run. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. Because in, in the short run, when I was making those decisions, it wasn't easy. I felt like I was almost having to make a decision of what I was giving up, but instead Mm. it was like, oh, no, wait, these are two separate things that exist in different spaces. And someone who tells this amazing, like, comedy-based story, that's going to be in front of a ticketed audience where people are coming for drinks and a night on the town and all that stuff. But these other shows, like you talked about the Black Voices in Research shows, those are those are handled with a different amount of care and intentionality behind them, and they're archived for future, like you said, for future use and and, and, and teaching, used. right? Yeah. And so that's different, you know. Yeah. But I had to own that. And I think, and to bring it back, yeah, you as a person who is interested in being a better public speaker, yeah, I think there's a few steps that you might need to get through if you're totally new to the world of public speaking before you're like okay let's think of all the nuances of the audience makeup but (laughs) absolutely that is something that is part of the process yeah well yeah because our audiences are different so when we talk about audience like in quotation marks that could be someone that could be your online dating (laughs) <laughs> and you're going to meet these people that you don't really know. Like, are, how are you going to present yourself, right? Maybe you're interviewing for jobs and your audience is potential employers. Um, career fairs. Like, the, I think about my my students with this stuff, too. You know, ma- trying to make new friends. I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of different audiences that we come across in life. And it's like, how do you want to come across to them and, and, you know, knowing them by, you know, getting to know them and respecting them, but also authentically representing who you are. Mm. It's a it's a delicate balance. There's a quote in this book <laughs> that when I read it, it's I have to be honest, it's not really so much about public speaking, uh-huh. but it has stuck with me. And I have thought of it multiple times a day, every day, because <laughs> Why am it I is nervous so that true. And I'd love for you to speak on it a little bit. Ooh, okay. I'm intrigued. From your mother. Uh-huh. Only boring people get bored. <laughs> oh my God. Only boring people get bored. One of the chapters starts with this quote. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, I will. And then I want to hear why this is stuck in your brain so okay. much, Brandon, okay? Because I think that's probably more interesting. But um, so my mom seriously started saying that to me when I was very small. And I love this quote because it really challenges – I mean, it still challenges me to this day of like – when I'm just, I don't feel like I have, you know, first of all, I can be a, I'm a very busy person and my brain is very busy and I can hardly sit down and all those things. But when you're, whenever you're having trouble feeling present 
or you feel like, oh, gosh, I have to do this thing. And I, it's like that little voice from my mom comes in my head like, oh, only boring people get bored. And you're like, I better find a way to be real excited about this right now, you know. But I think when my sister and I were little and we would say like, oh, well, there's nothing to do or like we've done all the things and we or we're in a car, you know, like driving to see you know, grandparents are, we don't, we're bored. My mom's like, well, I guess you're boring then. So figure it out, <laughs> you know? And I just, I love it because I guess you're boring. Yeah. Man. I mean, that's a, that's what she's implying, but it's a little <laughs> bit like, well, you're more creative than that. Right? Like you can figure something out. And I think that I'm very grateful for this as I've grown and gotten older and realized that I'm, I'm way more of an introvert than I ever believed. And, but without that quote of like, I don't, I don't, I don't have to get bored. I can always create fun for myself or or I need to be finding more fun in what I'm doing or it's super helpful. It applies to a lot of things. Uh, it resonates to with me because like you, I'm somebody who's very busy, who never really stops. Right. And so I don't really know what boredom right. is. Right. right. Like, <laughs> what, I, I, I don't mean, have time to, to be to bored. To say that I've never <laughs> been bored is is not true, but like – if I even slightly start to feel boredom coming on, I will come up with 10 things that I can do right. to either oh work on something that I care about oh. or get something done around the house or whatever. There's always something, right? And yeah. So for me, I read that quote and I'm like, I guess I'm not a boring person then. <laughs> I guess I'm a pretty that's interesting why you person. Look how enthralling I am. This is amazing. <laughs> maybe that that's, I never maybe get that's bored. reading this book through the lens of a narcissist. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the narcissist. Um, the, the narcissistic version. perspective of that narcissist quote. edition. Um, we can work on that one next. But <laughs> the um. <laughs> but I think it. So I think that's from a chapter that's about becoming more comfortable with yourself, right? And so it's called like, what's that one called? You party of one or something like that. You know, the fact that you I, remember the names of the chapters of your book is, like, dude, really impressive. Let me tell you yes, how obsessed you I had one. to be with this book. to fr- Chapter to, 9. To, uh, you Party of One, Chapter 9. Okay. okay. I didn't have that memorized, so I wouldn't take it that far. But <laughs> I just remember that because that's what that, that chapter is about, is, like, being able to be comfortable by yourself so that you can be comfortable with others. So when we talk about this idea of public speaking being – um, a community-driven practice, I feel like so much of us, so many of us struggle to be comfortable with other people because we feel like brutally insecure about how we're showing up for ourselves. So it's kind of like a building block of like, all right, y'all, now before we get real comfy with other people, let's talk about how you feel with yourself. See, that's different. I, that's one of the things I love about this book is that I think when I think, okay, how can I be a better public speaker? My mind goes to what are the steps, the things I check off on a list mm-hmm. to like, is there a pose? And, and and certainly this book talks about pose, like how to present yourself. I love Amy yourself, Cuddy as much right? as the next Power gal. posing yeah. and all that. But like, um, I think of what are the physical steps that mm. I have to do to, if I check off all these things on a list, I'm a better public speaker right right when your approach is much more holistic Mm. there are so many more things about ourselves that we have to think about or improve upon to to be the public speaker that we want to be right yeah and when we talk about being comfortable being alone that's 
I, I, I'm telling you, before I read this, if I would have come up with a list of things that you would need to do to be a public speaker, being one myself, yeah, being comfortable being alone is not something that would have come to mind. But totally it is yeah. because, you know, I, I have this distinct memory. Many of the times that I speak, you know, it's like all the house lights are on. I see everyone, right? Mm -hmm. um, you are still up there by yourself in so in some way, but you can connect with people by looking in their eyes, seeing what is connecting yeah. with them at a specific storytelling event where there were lights and cameras. Um, yeah. I, I couldn't see beyond my feet mm. practically. Like you're up on a stage and the audience is like this sea of just right. Nothing. Right. I, I could yeah. not see how many people were there. I could not see if they were interested in the story at all. Right. I could hear laughter. So I could, I got some verbal cues, right? But really, it was me standing up there alone, yeah, and telling my story to myself, yeah. And and so reading that you have to be comfortable being alone, mm -hmm. it resonated very strongly. And I don't know that I ever would have connected those dots had I not read beyond the words. That's so cool. Yeah, like can you go sit at a restaurant and by yourself? And order stuff and, like, keep yourself from looking at your phone the whole time just so that you don't have to connect with other human beings. <laughs> like, that's a re – we all know what that feels like, right? So, but if you can be there and just be like, I'm enjoying this for the sake of being with myself and I'm capable of connecting on, like, a weirdly intimate level if someone, like, makes eye contact with me or asks me how I'm doing. Like, that, to me, that's a weird – but very real version of like, you are practicing your public presence. Mm. Can you just be there alone? Like literally have to sometimes breathe into like, here I am sitting here. I'm just going to eat a meal by myself. I can do this because sometimes that's what it feels. It feels like to stand on a stage or to answer a question in class or introduce yourself for the first time. It feels like that. Oh, that's such a powerful image. And that is a powerful image to leave our audience with. Um, <laughs> it might have made everybody sweat. <laughs> Can uh, I leave you right there? <laughs> well, I mean, if you want to know how to overcome that, find Beyond the Words by Taylor Williams in a bookstore near you. Very good plug there in the end, Brandon. Thank you. <laughs> it is really, really amazing to see a book with your name on it, Taylor, and Aww. to hold it in my hands and to know like this is this is you and what you do in a book. I mean, obviously, there's more to you and more to what you do than what is in this book. But it's You're just a, big part of it. a really powerful thing to to get to experience with you and to learn from you. And I really do hope that everyone who listens to this goes and buys a copy and reads it because you will walk away uh, a better public speaker, but also just like a better human being. Mm, gosh, um, thank you. Jeez. And that's not, again, that's not what I necessarily thought I was going to get out of mm -hmm. reading a book about public speaking, how to mm. be a better person. Like, mm. but that again, just speaks to who you are, what you do and the approach that you bring to the table with all the work that you do when it comes to speaking or human connection and all of that. So thank you. Um, wow, man, I appreciate that. Very it, much. I know it was a lot of work because I've was. written before too. Yes. But thank you for not stopping and giving this gift to the world. So dang, thank you so much. And you're welcome. Yeah. Well, as we always do, I want to ask, is there a word coming up to take for our listeners to take with them over the next few days, week, 
weeks, months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. The first word that came to mind was belief, sort of just like that you, I don't know, to look at what we like believe about ourselves, but also that uh, like, how do you believe about, uh, or what do you believe about yourself as uh, you present yourself to the world kind of thing? And how can you maybe even challenge those beliefs? What about you? Only boring people get bored. <laughs> That's too many words. Take that with you. <laughs> I'm going to tell my mom that that really stuck with you. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Well, until next time, Taylor. It's the beginning of the year. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do this. Our theme song is This Place by the band Gleason. Stream it wherever you listen to music under their former band name, Stereo RV. This podcast was recorded at Pulp Arts in Gainesville, Florida, and our recording engineer was Danny Clifton. For more from Taylor... Follow her on social media platforms by searching Guts and Glory GNV. And for more from me, follow me on social media by searching Brandon Taub. <laughs>